Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. So, as I was preparing this week for the message, I was thinking about questions that we ask. And we start asking questions from a young age. Um, We start asking, I think of kids' questions, okay? So questions that kids ask. What is that? Why did that happen? Where are we going? What comes next after where are we going? Are we there yet, right? Yeah. Um, Who is that? Why do they look like that? What is wrong with that person? Okay, these are all questions that we've answered in our home at one point or another. Why, 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 why? I feel like every kid goes through the why phase. And some of them go through the why phase a couple times. Like they go through it when they're little and then they get older and they start like wrestling with things and why is this and why is this? And sometimes they ask why questions that we have no answers for or we're not prepared to give an answer for. Can anyone relate? Um, sometimes we want the questions to stop, and so uh, give me an answer that we say when, when the questions, we want them to stop. What's an answer that we say? Because I said so. Because I said so. Oh, I hated that answer as a kid. My mom would say that, and I was like, oh. Like, you knew it trumped what you were trying to get an answer to, but you had to walk away or get in an argument over that one. Like, because I said so. And it was like, well. Okay, so this morning I want us to talk about a few other random questions that we ask in life. Here's a, here's a weird one for you, right? Why do women open their mouth when they put on mascara? I, this is a crazy question, right? I actually looked it up to see if there's an answer. Opening your mouth when applying mascara prevents your eyes from blinking, greatly facilitating doing your makeup. Because blinking is interrupted when the mouth makes the O shape, opening your mouth is a reflex for precision that kicks in at the crucial moment to avoid panda eyes. There you have it. That is why women open their mouth while they put on mascara. I want go home, put on your mascara this week, and try and keep your mouth shut. You're gonna. Some of you will be like, I did it, but the rest of you are gonna be like, I can't keep my mouth shut. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Um, how about the question, What do you want to eat for dinner? Oh, I hate that question. All right, husbands. How about the question, Does this make me look fat? That's like the dreaded marriage question, dating question. Um, if nothing ever sticks to Teflon, how do they get Teflon to stick to the pan? I don't know. Um, How about, will you go out with me, and depending on how old you are, circle one, yes or no? Remember that? Like, write a note, circle one, yes or no? I'm going to throw my brother under the bus because this is fun. My brother did that when he asked my my sister-in-law out. And she said something along the lines of, when you're mature enough to ask me like a man, I'll tell you yes or no. (sighs) It was fun. We had had good times with them. Um, Okay, so here's some more important questions like, will you marry me? Should I take that job? Should I move across the country to that place? What should we name our baby? 
man, that one, that question takes a lot of time sometimes, doesn't it? How about the question, doctor, what's my prognosis? Sometimes we don't want the answers to some of those questions. Well, in our passage today, Jesus has two questions that he asks. And this is a, it's an important moment in, in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to turn to Mark 8, 27 through 30 this morning to read our passage. It says this, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So this isn't really, it's not a test of the disciples, and it's not Jesus checking his ratings in the latest polls. He's working toward the question of who the disciples say that he is. The disciples answers, or who do, the first question he asks is, who do other people say? And they say, John the Baptist, Elijah, or a prophet. Let's look at just for a minute at who other people say that Jesus is. Muslims say that Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't crucified on a cross. He will return, but he's not God. Hindus believe that Jesus is just one of millions of gods. Jews believe that Jesus was um, a great prophet and a teacher, but he is not God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was once the archangel Michael before he came to earth. In their view, Jesus is not God in the flesh. Atheists deny that Jesus even existed, and agnostics, they're not sure what to believe about Jesus. If I was to go around the room this morning and ask you, who do others say that Jesus is? My guess is we would have all kinds of answers. I would hear things about who your neighbors say that Jesus is. I would hear things about who politicians say that Jesus is. I would hear things about all different kinds of people that you hear these voices of who people, who people say Jesus is, whether they believe in him or not. After Jesus says this, he asks the question um, of who others say that he is. He looks at the disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? Again, if I was to ask around the room who, who others say or who you say Jesus is, my guess is your answers would be shaped by things like what your parents said, what your grandparents said, what your Sunday school teacher, your pastor the neighbor that took you to church, the VBS leader, the friend or the friend's parents, what they said. This pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry and in the life of the disciples, it's the moment where the disciples have to decide if they agree with what others say or if they have a different understanding of who Jesus is. Do they agree that he's, he's a prophet? Do they agree that he's Elijah? Or is their understanding of Jesus different? It's in this moment that we at least see that Peter says, um, Jesus is the Messiah. How did he come to that understanding? What shaped his understanding? Why did they see him as someone different than the other people were seeing him as? My guess is they had to wrestle with it. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about when Jesus walked out on the water and they thought he was a ghost 
They were wrestling with if they believed who he was. But how did they wrestle? By spending time right next to him. It's like a child who grows up hearing about God, and when they step out into the world on their own, they have to stand up, and they have to decide what they really believe. They have to sift through all of the things that we've taught them in our home, right? Parents, we teach our kids about Jesus. We teach our, our kids the, the do's and the don'ts of life. But when they get out on their own, they have, to, they have to go, okay, what do I believe? They have to seek the word of God on their own. They have to seek the Lord's face in prayer on their own and decide for themselves, who is Jesus to you? I know this from my own life. I was raised in the church. I was raised in a Christian home for the most part. My dad got saved shortly after my mom and dad got married. I was raised in, a, I went to a Christian school. Y'all, I was inundated with Christian, Christian, Christian. I was inundated with the rules of how you live this life. And I watched a whole lot of my friends after we graduated completely walk away from the Lord. Because some of what they saw, they thought was supposed to be perfect in the church and they realized people are human and some of it was hypocritical, and so they walked away. And it was at that point that I had to go, what does Christy believe? I had to take what my school taught me, what my parents taught me, what my church taught me, and I had to say, okay, this is what shaped me, but this is what I believe. I believe that God is the Messiah. I believe that he is a God of hope. I believe that he is a God of faithfulness. I believe that he is a God by my side when things stink. Life experiences taught me those things too. When I graduated and I grew into an adult, like I said, I decided for myself what that meant to live a life for Christ. I also had to decide what it looked like to live a holy life. You see, I said I grew up in that Christian everything, and so there was this understanding of what it was, but I had to decide what does holiness really look like? After Jeremy and I were married, we had to decide, how are we going to raise our kids? What are the things that we want our kids to know? We want our kids to know that when they, we want them to, when they go out on their own, to have an understanding of who God is. But we don't want their understanding of who God is simply to be what we said it should be. I want their understanding of who God is because to come from their own relationship with Jesus Christ. I want them to walk out and to know who they are. That's our role as parents, right? Our role is to say, Jace, Rylan, Reagan, we love you. They need to know that. But our, our role is also to say, Jace, Rylan, Reagan, God loves you. I would, uh, Rylan and I always had this little thing where I would say, you're so cute. And he'd say, I know. And I'd say, how come you're so cute? And he'd say, I, I, I don't know, and I'd say, well, who made you that way? And one day he looked at us and he's like, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Jeremy was like, yes, like glory moment. But it was like, it became this funny banter between us, right? But I want my kids to know that God loves them. I want them when they get out on their own to stand on their two feet, and we're watching it with Reagan. We're watching her in college going, okay, here's my ground. I know who I am. I know that I'm going through struggles, but I still know that God loves me. And I know that I have parents behind me. And I know that not everybody has parents behind them. So you know what else we like to do? We like to adopt our kids' friends and tell them to come on in. God loves you. We love you. We support you. 
because they need someone in their corner. I also learned that um, another lesson, remember I told you about growing up in the Christian home, we grow, we, we, sometimes we add too many rules to things, okay? Um, and I'm going to maybe step on a few toes with one of these. But I learned this lesson, and it's this. While I want my kids to look presentable at church, most of the time they do. Um, the condition of their heart is more important than what they wear. We go through this some mornings where I say, you might want to change and just, you look a little tired or whatever. But the condition of their heart matters more to me than what they walk into church in on Sunday morning. Again, I watch too many friends walk away from the church because they were told things like, you shouldn't be wearing that to church. I'm guilty of it. I had to wrestle with that on my own. But the condition of their heart matters more than what they're wearing. Okay, I'm going to breeze through some more passages. You can write these in references down if you want to, but, and look them over later. The first one is this, John 1, 1 through 5. Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him, and this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's who God is. Thomas, in John 20, 28, says, My Lord and my God. That's who God is. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that Christ, God's Son, has come to help us understand and to find the true God. And now we are in God because we are in Jesus Christ, his Son, who is the one and only true God, and he is eternal life. That's who God is. Matthew 14.33, Others sat there awestruck. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. That's who God is. John 8.58, Jesus says, the absolute truth is that I was in existence before Abraham was ever born. That's who God is. John 17, 3, and this is the way to have eternal life, by knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Colossians 2, 9 says, for in Christ there is all of God in a human body. Matthew 28, 20, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That's who my God is. Mark 5, 7, and 8. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. The story of, of um, the demons being cast out of the man. Jesus spoke to the demon within the man and said, Come out, you evil spirit. It gave a terrible scream, shrieking why are you going to do, what are you going to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? For God's sake, don't torture me. Even the demons knew who he was. They couldn't deny it. There comes a moment for each of us when we have to face our own commitment. Our commitment speaks to our identity. Who we believe he is speaks to who we are. When we answer the question of who Jesus is, we have to answer the question of who we are. Answering the question of his identity means we have to voice our own identity. If I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then I am identifying myself with him. 
At least I should be. What is true for the disciples is true for us today. If we claim, claim Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, then we're also asserting something bold about who we are choosing to be. And even like Peter in his enthusiasm, in our eagerness to call ourselves Christians, we might not always slow down enough to think about what that actually means for us. Wrapped in this question is a renewed invitation to discipleship. It's Jesus, again, standing on the shoreline, asking the disciples to follow him. And hearing it today offers us the opportunity to renew our own sense of discipleship as those who claim Jesus as Christ. We might ask ourselves what difference it makes for us to claim Jesus as the one in whom all of our hopes are realized. Does it make a difference in your life today to profess this faith? How? Are we living as those who are truly transformed by the good message of the Messiah? Or are we just giving Jesus a head nod and going on about our lives? There's a lot of that. I believe in God. Our choices reflect the faith that we profess. They should. This is what Jesus asked when he turns to us and says, who do you say that I am? It's a powerful moment for us to consider, to think that he, we are going to stand before him and he's going to say, who am I to you? you know, Jesus wants to know that. He doesn't want to know who everybody around you says. He wants to know, who do you say that I am? Kevin, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Brandy? To learn who Christ is, we have to listen and learn. This gathering right here this morning, small groups, one-on-one conversations with others, like Bo talked to us about, having those conversations, that's where we learn. When we dig into the word for ourselves, we ask questions of what we're reading. Can I just tell you this? Don't just read just to say you read the Bible. Check that on your goody-two-shoes list. Don't do that. Read to learn what the message is that God has in there for you. Dig into the truth of God's word. There's so, it's so rich and so full. But ask questions of it. I love when people come to church, and some people are people who've been around church for a long time and others who are new, and we get a text message that says, what on earth did I just read? Because they have no clue what they read. And I'm like, yes. Sometimes I'm like, man, I gotta find you an answer for that because I don't even know myself. And that's okay to admit that you don't know everything because none of us do. But I love when people ask questions of what they're reading because they want to know more. They're trying to figure out who is God to me. In order to learn a new skill, what do you have to do? Practice, right? Um, In order to learn how to be a doctor, what do you have to do, Jamie? Go to school. Study, right? Look at a book. Learn it. Our faith is no different. We have got to put our, we have to practice our faith. We've got to dig into the word of God to learn what our faith should look like. When we profess who Christ is, we are identifying with Christ as a believer. We have to ask ourselves, how our witness as a believer, how is your witness to those that are around you? The lives of the disciples and the message that they spoke to help spread the gospel throughout the world 
man, they, they were pretty impactful, right? People knew who those men were and what they stood for. What do our lives and our messages speak to others? This morning, we're going to prepare for communion, and I've asked a couple people to help me with that. I have a question for you to consider. Who do you say that God is? If you'll grab those and go ahead and start handing those out. Maybe you've never professed Christ as the Messiah. Maybe you have. You've professed him, but you've done that, you know, yeah, I believe he's God, and you've walked on your own way. And your life's not really reflecting that profession. You haven't stepped into that identity of being that person who is a believer in Christ. Some of you in here are a vivid reflection of the body of Christ. You, we know that you have professed Christ and your life is a complete witness of that. We're all on a different gamut, in the, on the gamut in here. This morning, you're all invited to the table. Member or not, you're invited. We simply ask that you do this, that you acknowledge that you need Jesus. By receiving the communion elements, we acknowledge that Christ is the Messiah and that he gave his body and his blood. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his closest followers for a meal. This is something that they had done before. It wasn't anything different. But the night was different because by the morning, someone would completely turn their back on him. But that didn't change what Jesus was about to do. If you haven't done so already, peel the top layer off and pull out your wafer. Following the meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and peel the next layer. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup and he passed it, giving thanks, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. Drink this in remembrance of me. In doing these things, Jesus established a meal then and now. This meal is a reminder of his love for his disciples and a reminder of his love for you. It's a reminder that he is Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning and we ask, Lord, that you would, um, you would remind us of who you are to us. God, that we would wrestle with that question this week. I, I pray that each one of us would hear, that, hear you say to us, who do you say that I am? And God, in doing that, that we would push the other voices aside that tell us that you're not who you are. And that we would hear the truth of who you are in our life and in our heart. And God, that we would declare that you are the Messiah. You are life. You are hope. You are goodness. You are truth. You are power over darkness. 
among so many other things. Lord, speak truth into our lives, and may we sift through the things that shape who we've been in our past. May we sift through the things that maybe the church has told us right or wrong either way. But God, may, may none of that define who we are when we stand in front of you. God, may we be able to stand in front of you and wholeheartedly declare who we say that you are. We love you, Lord. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you that you love us, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we maybe acknowledge that you're the Messiah and walk on our own way and do our own thing. Turn us, Lord, and draw us back to you. May we willingly turn. In your name, amen. Stand with me this morning. This week as you go and seek to be a blessing to those that are around you, my prayer is this, that you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt who God is and that your life will reflect that to those that are around you. So go this week and be blessing and be blessed in return.